Amen. All right. Morning, everybody. Good to be here. Wow, that was good to hear those tunes in my ears as we were worshiping together. You all singing, um, mixing it up with, with, you know, the video. But good to be here. I know God is with us, encouraging our hearts, and excited for the rest of our time together this morning. If I haven't met you yet, my name is Jonathan, and I get to serve as pastor here with Bluemont and this great group of people. And actually, today we have an, another unexpected treat. I realized right before the service started that a, another a dear, a good pastor friend of mine, Dwight Diller, and his wife Karen, are in the house with us this morning. Um, Dwight pastors at Alert Covenant Church north of town a little bit, and I've gotten to know him over the last several years. There's a group of pastors that prays twice a month on, on Tuesday mornings, and just some, some great men of God throughout this, this area that come together. And um, just believing for what God wants to do in people's lives and serving people. And, and Dwight is one of these who I just have grown to have so much respect for. He, when he prays, you know, this is a man who, who knows God and has deep reverence for God and a lot of faith. And they're seeing God do powerful things in their, in their church community. And so I asked Dwight just about three minutes ago if he would care to give a greeting to us. Because um, we didn't want to wait, didn't want to miss the chance to, to hear from him while he was here. So... Give, let's give him a welcome. Jesse, I'm doing good. All right. Hey, brother. Good to see you. No, no. I'm yeah, getting to know Jesse, and I've known Jonathan for quite a while, but um, we have family that lives in the Rock Creek District as well as you, right? Um, seventh grader there and a, what's our Emelin's grade? Fourth grader? Anyway, yeah, I'm serving as pastor at Alert Covenant Church, which is eight miles west of Randolph, or about 35 miles northwest of here. Country church with a lot of farm folks and, and others, and God's doing a great work there. But yeah, I've been excited about what God's doing through Bluemont here. You're located in a great, awesome place this close to campus where you can minister to students and beyond. And so I just want to extend a welcome to you from Alert Covenant Church. One of our, uh, well, the chairman of the church is actually preaching for me today, so I took a day off. But uh, I've grown to love this brother in the Lord a lot over the last th few years. And there was actually a Sunday, maybe two, three years ago, when Jonathan was off one Sunday, and he and Reagan came out to alert, so it's fun to have them there out. But uh, I, I want to just pray over you all right now. So, God, I, I lift up uh, Bluemont Church for these precious souls, and I would just pray, Lord, that the Spirit of God would flow mightily among them, that you would take them deeper in Christ, further in mission, give them a heart to reach their neighbors and friends for Jesus Christ. I pray, oh God, that you would just continue to increase the numbers of people that they're reaching, that your name might be glorified in this place. I pray for Pastor Jonathan and Jesse that the anointing of the Spirit of God would be upon them to, to flow in the, the gifts that you've given them, that you would give them a deep compassion for people, give them wisdom and insight into your word and ability to speak truth in the lives of those whom they're touching that you might receive the glory and the kingdom might be furthered in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you yeah. so much. Thank you so much. I, I knew he'd be down 
to jump up here last second. That was, that was so good to hear from, hear, from, hear from you. Well, before we go on, I, I want to say thank you. We had a great turnout for our yard leaf cleanup day yesterday. Man, I felt like there was an army of like 20 people out there for three solid hours. We filled, I think it was about it was over 80 bags of leaves yesterday. It was, it was over 90? Over 90 bags. Yeah, and we, we, had, we had an army, and we worked hard, and we got, we got, it, we got it done. So thank you, everybody. That was, that was a lot of fun. Um, we're going to just continue on. I want to kind of start off with a story, and I feel a little self-conscious because I got a couple stories today that involve me and my family, and, I, it's, and, it's, I, and I'm just kind of like, I f- it's there. The point is, is that God can use anybody. <laughs> All right. So the it's kind of just amazing. Some things that God's done, and I'm like, wow, you were doing that. I I had no idea you were doing that through my life. And so one of those was um, in our neighborhood. We've got I've got three older kids that are in their 20s now, and my son Cade is 21. And there's a there's a girl just catty corner from us who grew up kind of in and out of our house. She was, she was friends with our daughter Anna, and the kids all played together, capture the flag, and all sorts of stuff all the time. And good family, always really liked Elise. And, but, I, but it just, you know, it didn't seem like that much was going on. And as far as, you know, beyond, beyond just the normal kids are coming over and playing. And I remember, like, freshman, sophomore year, I would carpool Kate and Elise to the high school in the mornings. And I remember it just, it was so awkward. I was, I was trying to be friendly and it's like 6.50 in the morning, you've got two 14-year-old kids and they're a little awkward and I'm like trying to, you know, tell dad jokes or whatever to break the ice. And I was like, this girl just thinks I'm so weird. Like there's, that's all there is going, like this is just awkward. But I always, you know, thought, thought very highly of her. And it's really cool because in her you know, later high school years, she really grew in her faith, started to just really have a love for the Lord, and then went to college and, and continued to grow in powerful ways, and went on a missions trip to Central Asia a couple summers ago, and is actually getting ready to graduate soon, and planning to go on staff with the campus ministry and bring the gospel to college students. And so, like, wow, Elise, like, little Elise, like, so cool. But she was talking to Kate a little while back when, over the break when they were and they were home together, and she said, you know, there was just something that affected my life just being in your house. And just there was something different about the atmosphere. Like, I, I knew that, wow, God is real. Like, there's something different about the way, the, just the love that I experienced, and the peace, and the atmosphere that was there. And something in that just made me, like, want more. Made me want to find out more about God. And made me want to experience that in my own life. And I, when I heard that, I was like, wow, no way. Like, that, that's awesome. You know, and just, like, I'm glad you told Kate, because I would have never known that. And, and so often, we're, we're talking today about how, like, God is, do, God is doing things through our lives. But it's not according to how we feel or what we can perceive. Um, we're, talk, we're continuing our series about... Um, f- fake identity, and looking at some of the fake identities that we, we put on ourselves or take upon ourselves, and how God wants to replace them with his true identity. Last week we talked about the, the number one fake identity 
is that we try to be God. We kind of try to take on the identity of being God. But, and we looked at how God has called us to be the high calling of servants of God, and really, really what that entails. Um, but today we're talking about this concept that you may have heard this, many of you have heard this before, some of you it may be the first time you've heard this, but we're going to try to just think about one of the identities that the Bible says that those of us who are his sons and daughters have. And it's, the, it's what it says, I'm just going to read it here in, in, verse, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? You may be like, no, I didn't know that. It's like, do you not know you are God's temple and God's spirit dwells in you? So this is speaking to believers in Jesus, those who put their faith in him, turned from their sin, been born again, and his spirit has come to live inside of them. He says, you're actually the temple of God. And, you know, if you've heard that for a while, that may be one of those things that just kind of, like, oh, yeah, yeah, we're the temple of God. But I want us to really just ponder this today. Like, what does that mean? Now, the temple of God is the place where God's presence lives. In the, in the Old Testament, the Israelites, like, all other, like many other religions, built a, built a temple. And in that temple, it was a place that they brought their very best resources First there was a tabernacle, actually, and then a temple, and in both stories, they gave generously, and it was a very, uh, it took a lot of wealth, it took a lot of resources to build this temple. And then when it was completed, what's really amazing is the Bible tells us that the Spirit of God, the presence of God came, and in a very tangible way, took residence in this temple. There were times where there was a cloud so thick, you could, you could see it. And there was this place where God is everywhere, but in a very real sense, he, he concentrated his presence and made his home in this temple. And the Bible tells us that since Jesus came, that actually that temple is as grand as it was, and it attracted the kings and queens of the earth to come and check it out because it was so magnificent. But we're told in the, after Jesus that that temple is not really the temple of God. And interestingly, just 40 years after Jesus rose again, the original temple was destroyed, never to be built again. Because it's been replaced by us, the people of God. We are the place where God's presence now comes to live in just as ta a tangible of a way as the original temple. Um, it's the place where the temple is really the place where heaven and earth come together. The temple was modeled on kind of the, the idea of Eden, which the Bible indicates was there was a, a garden on a mountain, and even cultures throughout the world have understood that they, they, they make their temples like pyramids and triangles and mountains because there's a sense that, like, that's where the, the place where earth and heaven come together. That's what the temple represented, and that's what God has called us to be, the place where Heaven and earth come together where God's presence comes in the tangible, very physical world. Let's look at this next scripture, Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians 2, verse 13, and then we're going to read 17 through 22. As we read this, think about the, the identities that God lays out here that are, what are true identities, what is a true identity, and what are fake identities in this passage. 
But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. So, you know, we may, we all were far off if we're not far off now. But in Christ Jesus, he brings us near to him. And he came, speaking of Jesus, and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to you who are near. You know, we, one of the, one of the ways we feel is that, oh, God is mad at me. He's, there's not peace with me and God. But the reality is that God has come to bring peace to us. Through Jesus, through believing in Him, we can have peace with Him. For through Him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. And before Jesus, no one had full access to God. And many of you have heard the, the stories about how it worked out. In, the, in that temple, there was the most holy place where God's presence was most concentrated. And only the high priest would go into that high place. After multiple sacrifices were made, one time a year, because God was just, his holiness was not something that people, because sin had not been dealt with yet, and people couldn't just come. But now it says now, we, we all have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So there's a lot there. But again, it's this picture of a temple that God is building of us, his people. A dwelling place of God for the Spirit. And it's got the apostles and prophets, and then it's got, and us. We're all part of of this temple, this, this crazy calling that God has given us. Uh, it kind of, you know, we're going to delve into this more later, but it's the Bible, it kind of flips between singular and plural. It says, hey, you're the temple of God. God lives in you, singular, in your body. But then it also it talks more about how we are the temple of Christ, how it's together. The church, the people whose lives are joined together. There's something, and this is the imagery here of these like, okay, this, this building being built, and you've got this, the cornerstone of Jesus, and then these foundation stones of the apostles and prophets. But then it's like, but you also are being stones, being joined together to this temple of God, this place that God wants to show up and live in the world. God wants to show up in the world. He wants to show up in tangible ways in people's lives. And in such a way, like in such a real way, that, that other people will experience him too. I want to read another passage here. This is in 2 Chronicles chapter 6. And this is talking about, this is when the first temple was being dedicated by King Solomon. And he prays this, this long prayer about what God will do through his temple, through the place where he shows up on earth in a tangible way. And in verse 32 of 2 Chronicles 6, Solomon prays and he says, Likewise, when a foreigner who's not of your people Israel 
comes from a far country for the sake of your great name and your mighty hand and your outstretched arm, when he comes and prays toward this house, hear from heaven your dwelling place and do according to all for which the foreigner calls to you in order that all the peoples of the earth may know your name and fear you as do your people Israel and that they may know that this house that I have built is called by your name. So Solomon prayed, hey, when this temple that we built now, may it be a place not only for us, but for all the nations of the world. May it be a place where people come from far and wide to, to see this temple and to encounter God himself. And when they, when they come to this place, may something happen in them that they come to a realization of who God is and they come to know him and follow him. And then they take that back to their nations. And the knowledge of God is made known everywhere. And that's really like we think of, okay, that's, that's a lot of what God wants in us. Like we're the temple of Christ. Is that there's something so tangible about our lives that when other people encounter us, that they, they just, they sense, they can tell, man, there's, there's something more going on here. I think you can probably think about like people you know that are like that. You're like, you come around them and they're like, oh man, they just, they're full of God. Like, there's, God is with them. There's something more. They're not normal. That is, there's, there's something, you know, beyond them. And again, I, most of us don't really feel like that could be us. That's like, oh, those people. Like, they're the, you know, that's like Pastor Dwight, you know? Like, they're, they're those special people. But, you know, not, what about me? I don't know, I don't really feel that way. Um, but amazingly, through Jesus, he, he says we are that temple. And he does that. I was encouraged. My, my daughter, Anna, uh, she started taking her old van, which we got when she was like two years old, and now it's her vehicle. So it's like 20 years old now, 21 years old, and we take our, we take our vehicles to Firestone sometimes for, for service, and so she started going there. And she met this young woman who worked, who worked at the desk, and she just... Um, this gal like, just caught Anna's heart, caught her attention. And she's like, I, I like her, and I just, I'd like, I wonder, you know, if I could just befriend her, or if she could befriend me. You know, like, let's, let, let's get to know each other better. I wonder if that could happen. And so, you know, she actually asked the gal, hey, could, um, you want me to go get coffee sometime? They were, they were starting talking a little bit. And so uh, she said, yeah, let's do that. And so they went out for coffee, and... And then um, she said, let's just call her Kelly. Kelly said, hey, you know, it's, it's wild. When you came in, that I, I recognized your name because I had met your dad. And honestly, I didn't remember Kelly. Like, I've, I've gone, to, gone to Firestone, but there's another guy that's kind of caught my attention. And I'm like, man, I think God wants to work on this guy's life. I, I always talk to him. I'm disappointed when he's not there. Um, I've invited him to church before. And I was like, man, I just feel like I was doing something with him. But I didn't even remember Kelly. But Kelly said, hey, your dad, and again, this is just, just showing like God can do stuff through, through lame people like me. But Kelly goes, your dad's one of my favorite customers. I'm like, wow, like you know who I, when Anna told me this, I was like, you, she knows who I was? Like, that's crazy. Like, I, I don't even know who she is and all, of, all the hundreds of people. But she was like, yeah, your dad's one of the only people who's kind when he comes in to get his car worked on. 
And I'm like, well, I can understand why, because you're always getting bad news. You're always like, oh, shoot, I just want an oil change, and that was a $1,000 repair that they're telling me that I need. And, and they're the ones telling you this, this news, and you're you know, questioning how trustworthy they are. But, but she said that, and then it's like, wow, and I think there was something, you know, by the grace of God, that's just like being the temple of God, coming in, and people are experiencing something different than the norm. And then a little while later, Anna invited Kelly to, to, to come to a, something our church was doing. I can't even remember what. Um, maybe it was Sunday morning. She's invited her a few times, and she seems like she's close to coming, but not quite yet. But, but Kelly's like, you know, I, I might come. And she told this to Anna, but only because you're the one asking me. Because I want nothing to do with church. Like, I've had some bad experiences. I've had some bad experiences with people who call themselves Christians. But because of my interaction with you and my relationship with you, like, I trust you. And you have something that I want. And I'm open to exploring more because of you. And it's like, come on, that's awesome. That's, that's what it's all about. And really, that's what, that's what it means to be a temple of God. It's we're people who host the presence of God. I mean, think about that. Like, think about if you were, uh, if you, uh, I just watched Ocean's Eleven with, with Ian a few nights ago. And when they come out with the $80 million or $40 million, whatever it is, and there's the armored vehicle, and although, you know, anyway, don't go in the movie. But if you had $40 million and you were, like, responsible for that, you would take great care in how you transported that treasure. You would be, like, very aware of what vehicle was carrying it and how you were driving and what you were guarding against and what you were doing. If you had a $2 million diamond ring that someone gave you, you would be very cognizant of how am I carrying this thing. But we are the temple of God. Like we are everywhere we walk, like God's presence is in us. We are hosting his presence. And that, that is infinitely more valuable. And infinitely more influential and impactful on the people we come into contact with. Um, so that's like, in, in, we're getting a haircut, going shopping, at our house, in class, at work, talking to our friends. We are hosting the presence of God, and whatever is in us is what people are going to experience from us. There was a study done a while ago where, I don't know how people come up with these ideas, but someone did, and they, they took, like, they recorded the voices of professors, and then they played them to just random college students who didn't know these professors, and then they asked them, to evaluate, like, what quality of a teacher do you think this person is? And it was like an 80% match between what people guessed they would be like and the, and the student evaluations that they gave their teachers after they had actually taken the classes. Does that make sense? So people who didn't know these professors, just by hearing the, their voice, assess, like, okay, I think this is what this person is like. And they gave an assessment. And then people who had taken the class, you know, who gave their evaluations, it was very close to the people who just heard their voice one time in some random thing. Because what is in us comes out of us. Whatever is in us is what people get, it's what people get from us. 
And we can't, we can try, you know, we try to, 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 uh, you know, couch or uh, affect the way that it comes across. But really, the biggest thing that's going to affect what people get from you and me is what's in us. It's not all the external, like, how to win friends and influence people stuff we may do. But it's just like, what is in us and what's our character? That's what people are going to get from us. And so, man, if we're the temple of God, that means people are going to get God from us. We have every reason to expect that. Let's look at one more of these passages that talks about this. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Here's another passage that gives the same imagery. That, hey, God is building a temple. He, he has a temple, and it's made up of living stones. And here, the, we're at, we're, the analogy is that each of us is a stone who are joined together to build a temple where God shows up. So, that sounds good, right? Yeah. Sounds pretty, like, yeah, that's, that's, that's amazing. Like, wow, if that's true, that's great. But I think we also know inherently that they're, like, that's, that's true. And it, but we're not necessarily, not necessarily living out of the truth of our identity all the time, right? And so, you know, really today, like I said like three times, I'm, I'm wanting us to just ponder this because... Destiny flows from identity. Whatever you believe about your identity is going to determine your destiny. Like who you believe that you are is going to determine the life that you live and the impact of your life. And so this, if when we see that we're the temple, that, that, determined, that has a huge uh, effect on our destiny. So um, how, do we, how do we live this out? Let me just ask this before I go on. Does anyone have a question so far? I'm going to kind of bring us home with how to live this out. But does anyone have a question that they're like, hey, help me understand this, and I'll do my best if so? I don't see any hands. Okay, good. I trust that means we're all tracking. That's good. Okay, so to live as a tip, I just want to say about two things, talk about two things to go from, like, to live out this identity in a very full way. The first thing I want to say is, is get set in. Get set in. What the heck does that mean, get set in? Well, it means taking that stone, that living stone, and setting it in the right place next to other stones to see God build something with your life. There's a big difference between a rock out in the middle of a pasture and the rock's on the outside of this building that this building's built with. They're both structurally the same thing. But where they are set has everything to do with what that stone is all about. And it's so true for us as well. Like we, I, you find that the people who most live out being the temple and hosting God's presence and going places and seeing God do things and miracles happening and encounters with people and with God, it's, all, it's people who are set with other people in God's church. Like, that's, that's, that's how it works. I, 
there was an article in the Wall Street Journal this last week, and the headline was something like, cohabiting couples struggle to accumulate wealth. Something like that. And basically, it was making the point that people who live together but aren't married don't do as well financially as people who get married. And it's interesting because actually one of the reasons people don't get married is because there are tax advantages sometimes to not getting married. And so it's not just like, it's not a natural like reason, but there's something like when people get married, there's a joining together of their bank accounts. There's a joining together of their lives. Whereas if they're just cohabiting, it's more like, hey, I've got mine, you got yours. There's, and it's out of that, they don't prosper as much financially. But when people come together and join themselves together, there are economic implications that are, that are positive for that. And you know, a lot of Christians are, are cohabiting, but they're not covenantal. They're you know, around people to a degree, but there's a different level of really joining your life with people, really being set in with the people of God that makes all the difference in the world. And so to live out this identity of being the people of God, being the, the temple of God, it's huge that our lives are set, that are, we're locked in with other people, that we're building friendships, that we're opening up our lives, we're opening up our homes, we're spending time together, we're giving of ourselves, we're investing our lives in one another, we're learning from one another. It's being set in in a church family. It makes all the difference in how much of God's reality is coming, coming through in our lives. And I know, I, like, it's what we all desire. Right? We all desire these kind of relationships. How many of you have seen the movie? I just saw it this week. I don't, I don't usually watch that many movies, but this week I saw a couple. But Peanut Butter Falcon. Who's seen Peanut Butter Falcon? Ah, oh, one hand. Two hands. Okay. I hadn't even heard of it until my kids told me about it. But it's, it was a pretty cool movie. Um, it's basically the story of this guy who's in his 20s. He's got Down syndrome. And he's living... Um, he's living in a nursing home because he's a ward of the state. He doesn't have any family. And so they put him in this, this nursing home with, with old people just so he can get care. And he's like, man, I'm, this is not where I would want to live. <laughs> I'm, in, I'm 20-something. Like, I want to live. And so he keeps trying to escape from the nursing home. And he's like, he's an escape threat. And so finally, they like put bars on his windows and everything. But one of the, one of the old guys who's his friend there, like helps him break out of the, the bars, and he escapes. And he somehow, in this random event, he hooks up with this, down, this guy who's like not in the greatest place with the law. And he's made a lot of bad life decisions, and doesn't seem very responsible, and had a lot of tragedy in his life. But somehow, he asks this guy, hey, the, the, the Down syndrome guy, says, hey, can I go with you? Will you... Basically, will you be my family? And, and the other guy's like, uh, no. <laughs> like, why, no, I got a life. But he just like, he won't leave him alone. Like, he's so like, man, I got to find my family. I got to find my family. And so he just like follows him so much that it ends up changing the heart of the other guy. And they have this crazy bonding story where they have a secret handshake and this crazy adventure. And you got to see the movie yourself. But this just deep family is formed because of that sense of like, man, I gotta find myself set in with somebody. And out of that, impactful things happen. 
And the same thing is true for us. Like our, our destiny comes, being the temple of God comes from how we are connected in life with other people. So get set in. And then the other aspect I want to talk about today is living as a temple, living as a temple with feet. That's really, you know, being the temple of God, but with feet, wherever we go, is get spirit-filled. Get spirit-filled. In the, in the original temple, when it was built, <clears throat> they prayed and the Spirit of God came and descended in that place. And everyone who is who believes in Jesus, God's Spirit comes and lives inside of us, and we're the temple of God. But there are different levels of us being filled with the Spirit of God. In Ephesians 5.18, we're told, Don't get drunk with wine, for that's dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. So it's saying, hey, you, you have the Spirit, but you need to fill yourself up with the Spirit. Ask the Holy Spirit to come and fill you. Ask him to come and, and fill you up. And really, the, the, the verb tense here is continual. It's be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. So it's not just like a one-and-done thing, like, hey, I got filled with the Holy Spirit back in June. But, no, be continually filled with the Spirit. Ask the Holy Spirit to come and, and keep filling us. To do that, it might be stuff like, there's stuff that maybe has to get out of the way. Like, here, don't get drunk with wine. Like, that's, that's something that's taking up room in your life. And it's, it's watering you down. But actually, you may need to, there's some things in our life that we got to get rid of in order to invite more of the Holy Spirit in to our life. So get spirit-filled. Um, and that's just the amazing thing is that we can ask. And the Holy Spirit comes and, and fills us. Now how do we know? How do we know when we're filled with the Holy Spirit? Interesting question. There have been a lot of debates and books read and books written and discussion about what does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Um, you know, for churches like us that believe in all the New Testament gifts and manifestations of the Holy Spirit, it's oftentimes the discussion is about spiritual gifts. And the Bible talks a lot about things like prophecy and praying in tongues and healing and discerning spirits and these gifts of the Spirit. And these are, these are things that follow being filled with the Holy Spirit. Um, but along with that, I want to look at one thing that I think is even more the purpose of being filled with the Holy Spirit. And in Acts 1.8, when Jesus was promising the Holy Spirit, this is what he said. He said, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. God, I love that. Because you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And then what's going to happen? You're going to be witnesses of Jesus. Here where you are, in your region, and all over the world. When we're filled with the Holy Spirit, that aspect of being the temple with feet, where people who don't know God encounter God and come to know Him too, that's something that happens in our life. I know for me, like I was the most scaredy cat to open my mouth guy that I knew, pretty much. And getting filled with the Holy Spirit, that just very quickly changed. And I found, like, I started talking to people around me. I started talking in my classes. I started talking about God because there was a reality of what I'd experienced that, that was different. Um, 
it's, it's, it's amazing how that happens. I was, um, there's another story. I didn't get permission. Is this okay, Ian? Can I tell the story about you? About your, I was going to ask you. I forgot. <laughs> we have a little deal in our family. If we tell a story, we have to pay a kid a buck. <laughs> but it's still, I think, I think you'll be okay with this one. <laughs> um, he, so Ian, he's got a friend in our neighborhood who's a, on the, in a swimming club. And the somehow, I don't even know why kids, they must be like, just like, invite everyone you know to be part of everything social media possible on your phone or whatever. So he's in a part of a group me, it's not even social media, but this group me chat of, of a swim, swimming club kids. And Ian's not on the swimming club, but they invited him, so he said yes. And he joined this group, and they're talking about kid stuff. And it's like the first day, this seventh grader, text Ian was like, hey, there's something different about you. Like, you're different than all these other kids. And there's a kindness that's, that's different. And then just opens up about her depression and actually suicidal. And just like on the edge, like about really close to the edge. And just was like, but there was something different about you that I just like want to talk to you. And, you know, just... By the grace of God, he was able to give her a little pointing in the right direction and help her walk through that, and she, she got through that. And, like, wow, crazy. Like, through group me. You know, 14-year-old kid, 12-year-old kid, but there's, like, something, the essence of the Spirit of God in us. Like, people can feel that. People can sense that. People can tell there's something. And it gives us a chance to be a witness of Jesus and point them to him. And so, man, that's... That's, I, I love how, you know, that's God chooses the weak things of the world to accomplish his purposes through. Like, he doesn't change people just through, like, those superstars. Just through, like, the uber-talented people. But it's people like you and me and all our weaknesses and insecurities. And he's like, hey, it's, yeah, you got all that, but listen, I'm going to come. I'm going to live inside of you. And if you'll just trust me, if you'll just host me, if you'll just connect with other people, build your lives with them, if you'll just invite me in and just abandon yourself to me to come, I'll show up in ways and, and make myself known to you and through you. And we are the temple of God. We are the temple of God. And it's happening. I know, like, there's so many stories you all could be like, yeah, this person next to me, like, they're the temple of God. I felt that. Or, like, you know, that person, and like, wow, God's, he did something through my life last week. Like, this is, this is, this is amazing. But I believe God wants us to know that, like, he, he is here. And he is ready to reveal himself, not only to us, but to others, as we trust him and walk in this identity. I want to just pray for us and ask that God would help us to walk this out. So let's, let's pray together. Lord, thank you. Thank you for choosing us. Thank you for changing us by your grace and through your blood. Thank you, Lord, that there's no like wasteland between us and you. But you've come to make your home in our very bodies. 
Lord, I, I ask that that would be, if that's not true of anyone here today, that you would just lead them to help that become true. And Lord, for, all, for the rest of us, that, that we would walk in a greater realization that we are hosting your presence. That where we go, things can change. Where we go, miracles can happen. Where we go, people experience you. Lord, thank you for that. We trust you. In Jesus' name, amen.